A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ahí va a llegar Arsenal Ozil marca Mesut Ozil Is Arscast Extra. Hello and welcome to another Arscast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, I guess, goodly morning. Can we have a goodly morning, even though there's been no football? Can we just wish each other I that? Think sometimes it's easier, probably, when yeah. there's no football, to have a goodly morning. Uh, yeah, goodly morning, why not? Why not, indeed? How was your weekend? You were down in Brighton doing your, mm-hmm. your, your show. How did it all go? It was lovely. I was at Brighton Fringe doing my one-man show, and I had a few listeners to the podcast come to the show. That was very kind of them. Very cool. I had a couple of, yeah, I had a couple of guys come up afterwards and say uh, they listened to the show, and one of them even wished me a goodly evening, which was very sweet of him. And then their other friend said, uh, "I'm a Chelsea fan, actually, but I still enjoyed the show." So that was nice. Okay. Well, I hope he has a miserable time on May 29th, despite his you so know, magna- magnanimous uh, approach to to your interactions. Um, yeah. Yeah, it was sort of, uh, you know, the calm before the storm. Relations between me and Chelsea fans are as good as they ever are, really, at this point, but they're about to turn pretty sour. What are you going to do for the game? What Are you, are you going to watch with your brother? <sighs> I don't think... I want to do that <laughs> because I think I'll be so devastated, you know, if it goes the wrong way. I, I don't know. I think I'm going to try and watch it somewhere in Islington because I sort of think if we win, there might be a bit of a, a party atmosphere. A bit know? of a buzz, but, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah. So there's a few. I mean, I know the. I know Red Action, the sort of fan group, are doing a couple of screenings and then a lot of the pubs around here are doing big screenings. So, yeah, I think I'll be sort of local to the ground. I'm a little bit surprised they're not doing it at the Emirates Stadium, actually. I thought there might be some sort of event held there, but it doesn't seem to have come about. Yeah, I saw a few people asking about this, and so far, well, I mean, at this point, you would imagine that nothing is happening because uh, they would have been preparing and selling tickets. But for a European final... Our first one in whatever it is, 13 years, and the potential of winning our first European trophy in 25 years. I, I'm a bit surprised that they didn't do something. Mm. Um, S- someone told me there was some kind of rights issue, which I find surprising because I believe Arsenal have like a formal partnership with BT, who have the rights to the Europa League in this country. But maybe there is some reason that they're not allowed to screen it live while it's going out on telly or something like that. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Who can say? We don't know what happens behind the scenes, the machinations. What are you going to do? What am I going to do? I'm going to sit in front of the TV and work as I normally do. I'll watch the game and do the live blog and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's for the wicked. I mean, I, I might be doing some some work as well. And that will sort of, you know, I'm not going to do that in a pub. I think that would be a bit <laughs> difficult. Yeah. Uh, desperately trying to do the player ratings while people spill pub. 
pints <laughs> over my laptop. Um, how far are we away from it now? In terms of ten days. days, yeah, ten, yeah, it's on Wednesday week, so. You know, it's it's weird, isn't it? There's this weird thing at the moment where the season's over, but it's not over, and we're having we're mm. having this kind of little lull of things. I've got a, an interesting little snippet of information this morning from one of our uh, readers or listeners uh, called Fabian uh, Zersch. Uh, I hope that's right. Uh, he says that Arsenal are flying in an Austrian side. Uh, L-A-S-K Lask I don't know Um, I don't know how you pronounce that Um, but he says they're a very intense pressing team runners up in the Austrian league this season and they're going to play a behind closed doors game against Arsenal on Thursday Um, Linzer Athletic Sport Club commonly known as Lask Linz or simply Lask anyway they're playing behind closed doors against Arsenal on Thursday I guess you know to keep match fitness and match sharpness um, uh, as as high as possible and maybe to try and replicate what they think Chelsea are going to do and what way Chelsea might approach the game I think that makes sense because you know it's quite a long layoff between the games and I mean, I'm, in my head, this is the Danny Welbeck game. This is the game where, you know, you give him a little bit of a run around and see if he's anywhere Ooh, close to being involved yeah. on the bench. I saw some some stories over the weekend. I'm not quite sure how true they are, but potentially he could be on the bench for this game. Mm. Well, we get 12 subs in the Europa League final. Did you know that? What? Yeah. 12 subs? It, it, yeah, uh, I think it's 12, and it's the same in the Champions oh, League yeah, final. that's right. I it's a new that. rule that came in either last year or this year. So you'd have to think he's worth including on a bench of 12, you know. It's, it's sort of not at the cost of anybody else, really. No, I mean, you look at you look at the benches we've been putting out recently, and there's not a great deal beyond them. So we dip into the youths, I guess. You bring along uh, players like Saka, Amici, maybe? Um, yeah, maybe. Willock. I mean, you know, who else is there? That we Willock can... will be close to inclusion, I think. You know, and Katia will almost certainly be on yeah. the bench. Um, there might be a couple of others. I mean, you know, I think it's probably good to play this friendly match and give someone like Welbeck a, a game. But, you know, we saw the risk. We spoke, mm. didn't we, about Chelsea going to America um, and they've lost Ruben Loftus-Cheek to a really serious injury. Yeah. I mean... Terrible for him. Yeah. But that's, as, you know, it is terrible. It's for quite him. good for us, yeah. I mean, he's, he's played quite a lot for them, especially in the Europa League. I think he's had a pretty good campaign in that competition. He's got a hat-trick in one game, if I recall correctly. Um, so, yeah, I'm pleased by that, especially because there is some doubt over N'Golo Kante as well. Oh, so, really? Uh, that would be good. Yeah. That would be good. That would be really good. That would be really good. So that could hit their midfield quite hard. I mean, I'm sort of fearing the worst and thinking Kante will probably be back. But mm. uh, to lose Loftus Cheek is beneficial. I mean, just, yeah, just need someone now to slip a Mickey to uh, Eden Hazard and, and Olivier Giroud. Um, well, not our be, Mickey. No, sure. I was. Yeah. Well, he might not even be there. <laughs> um, did you see Aaron Ramsey yesterday turning up at Juventus? I didn't see it, but I read about it. Did you watch it? Did you see it? Was it, how was it? How were the heartstrings? I've just seen a, I've just seen a picture of him sort of turning up, 
uh, outside the ground looking very snappily dressed. Since he's secured that move to Italy, I think his dress sense has really gone up. You know, Ganduzi posted about it on Instagram, didn't he, a few months ago? Right. Uh, yeah, he looked very slick indeed. But it's sort of interesting, that whole situation. I, I still look at it from the outside and I'm a bit confused. You know, we were told Ramsey had the three-week injury... Then, you know, that all went quiet. Then I think last week there was his last day at the training ground, sort of killing any hope that he might be back for the Europa League final. Unless this is just the mother of all bluffs, Andrew. Maybe Dare we pray? No, we don't. We don't. I figure, I, I think it's done and dusted. It would be amazing to have him, but I just don't think, just don't think it's, it's going to happen, unfortunately. But hey. We can, yeah, yeah I don't know. So it would be, I'd feel much more confident if we had Aaron Ramsey. I definitely would. So would I. I mean, you know, he's got the, the, the goal-scoring cup final pedigree, especially mm. against Chelsea. Um, yeah, my heartstrings were all right. I wonder, you know, he, he's moved there in Allegri. The, the coach has since announced he's going, hasn't he? So mm. it's one of those interesting ones where you wonder how much he knew exactly about what he was getting into and who's going to be in charge there. I haven't actually seen anything about who's due to be taking over, but... Um, I'm sure I'll manage fine on that salary. I don't think you'll really mind who the manager is, will you? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. Uh, what else? Uh, Mickey. The cup. <laughs> did you did you watch the cup final? How much of the cup final did you watch? I should say. Right. So it clashed with my show was at ten past six. So I could have watched the first half, but I was sort of uh, you know trying to get into some sort of zone. I have a lot of friends and family who are like distant family or Watford fans because yeah. I grew up in that part of the world and uh, they were all very excited. They all said they had a really lovely day until City scored the first goal and then it was absolutely torturous. Yes. Um, how much did you see of it? I heard it was actually relatively close until City scored. Um, yeah, I mean, Watford had a brilliant chance to go ahead and uh, Ederson made a good save. Yeah, Ederson made a good save. Yeah. I mean, it was one of those where a goalkeeper comes out and spreads himself. So you've got to give him credit for that. But it sort of hit off his foot and went away. I think it would have, whether it would have changed anything significantly or not, I don't know. But it would at least have given some pretense of competitiveness in the game. City scored. They scored again. It was 2-0, I think, at halftime. They scored very early in the in the second half and after that I just turned off because it was a it was a foregone conclusion it's been quite interesting hasn't it some of the reaction to City winning the treble Uh, and it Mm. hasn't been I mean it is an amazing thing to do to win the league and both domestic cups nobody uh, in the men's game has has done it before of course the Arsenal women did it some years ago uh, trailblazers that they are but you know, you look at some of the match reports where people were just saying, I think it was Miguel Delaney who was writing saying, what's the point? What's the point in writing just a regular match report for this? Because um, it just doesn't work, you know. Um, and there was a really good piece by Jonathan Wilson in The, in the Guardian. Um, what did he call it? He called it uh, a strangely gruesome exhibition is what he Mm. called it. Um, There was a good line here where he said, um, in terms of competitiveness, you may as well have placed a yellow and black blancmange in the middle of the pitch and smashed it with a sky blue oar. Um, 
you know, it, it is. He, he's basically talking about the disparity in quality between the sides because of the money that City have, and you know that's a whole conversation. But you know, the gulf is is too big, and actually the conclusion Sizable. that he draw, the, yeah. the, the conclusion that he draws um, from this, you know, not just City, but the fact that. Bayern retained the league in Germany. PSG did it in France. Um, Barcelona in, in Italy. In, yeah, guess. you know, yeah, yeah and uh, Barcelona in Spain. And the gap is so big that he said, you know what, maybe the worst or the best worst solution is for this European Super League to go ahead because then at least you would get domestic football leagues with a measure of competitiveness. And that's a really sad well, a- conclusion to draw, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, in England, look at the championship. It's a phenomenal league, a really exciting league where it is close and teams can go from being relegation contenders to playoff contenders in the space of a season. And that doesn't, that sort of motility doesn't quite exist in the same way no. in the Premier League. Because uh, so, in Premier, the Premier League kind of already has that sort of stretched, uh, polarised feel to it. Um, so that maybe if that could be applied across Europe, maybe that wouldn't be the worst thing. I suppose it's not instinctively what I want to see. You know, I love watching Arsenal play English teams. That's what that's my bread and butter. That's what I grew up on. But I do think Europe might have a bit of a problem. Mm. Uh, and I have I have found it interesting the reaction to City doing the treble. It sort of feels like the first time that maybe. Uh, the wider media have sort of stepped back and thought, right, what, how do we feel about this? <laughs> because uh, I think also as fans, there's kind of an interesting thing going on where a lot of Arsenal fans, for example, are sort of happy for City to kind of clean up because from a sort of tribalistic point of view, it's better than the alternative. You know, it's better than United winning the league or or Chelsea or this season Liverpool. You know, a lot of people just wanted mm. City to do it so it wasn't Liverpool. And I think it's because City, you know, I've spoken about how I don't find City particularly exciting. I don't find it a romantic story. And it's sort of a sense of like, well, if they win it, it kind of doesn't count. And I think that's all well and good. But at a certain point, you're like, well, they're winning everything now. <laughs> so yeah. what does that mean? No, I agree. You know, you can compartmentalize it because you write it off. You you stick it in this box of, well, you know, they're owned by a nation state funded up the wazoo. Um, and it's sort of artificial in a way without being. Um, what's the way I want to say this? You know, Pep Guardiola is an amazing football coach. There's no two ways about that. And he yeah. has assembled a collection of fantastic players uh, he spent a lot of money on them but they are fantastic players they're like a slick footballing machine and what they do on the pitch is, is very impressive if a bit sterile for me anyway I find it quite sterile and, and boring but it's harder and harder to separate the money side of their achievements um, and I think what we've perhaps seen this weekend is a little bit of a breaking point in terms of what people are prepared to put up with. People who, you know, have a vested interest in football and sport being what makes it great, which is competitive. And I think we also, as much as people might not like this, 
if we look at City as this gigantic, financially doped machine with a brilliant manager and brilliant players and, and all that, right? I think we have to maybe step back and just say for Liverpool to run them that close is is pretty fucking impressive. I'm not saying it's an achievement. I don't say they should get a trophy for it or anything nonsensical like that. But, you know, City won the league every season for the next 10 years by 20 points. Would anyone bat an eyelid? Like, no, you know, that's that's the thing. And I think there is something... That's why I wanted Liverpool to do it this season because I felt there was something a bit more pure. And I, I know football and Premier League football and big business and ownership and all that. You know, there's very little left that's pure, but... From a sporting point of view, from a footballing point of view, it felt there was a, a lot more that I could um, associate with or or find an attachment to in what Liverpool did than what City are doing. Yeah, absolutely. I, I concur. And whenever you say something like that, you always get people come back at you saying, yeah, but they spent 70 million on Van Dyke and 75 million on Alisson. But that was revenue generated in a completely different way. I mean, City are facing allegations essentially of corruption, really, in terms of how their yeah. financial side is, is distributed and comes about. So it's an entirely different scenario. That was money largely made by player sales, uh, and that's smart management. And, and I think, you know, you have to sort of offer this caveat of, I don't think anyone's questioning that Guardiola's done something pretty remarkable. I mean, plenty of teams have spent a lot of money and not been as successful as him. Yes. Uh, he, he, he is a great, great coach, but he's only there because of the money. You know, it's not mm. like he went to City when they were a mid-table team and built them up for nothing. He went there as the best coach in the world. And Manchester City were only able to lure the best coach in the world because of these huge resources. Well, yeah, I mean, think about it as well, though. If you go back, there's been a long-term plan to bring Pep Guardiola to Manchester City. Because the, the executives yeah. from Barcelona the came in, they came in a good few years ago. So it's almost like they built City to the point where it was ready for Pep to take it and, and to absolutely, you know, monster the, the Premier League. So it, it, it has been set up for him. Um, what did you make of the questions that he was asked? I don't know if you saw the clip. He was asked a question I by did, yeah. Rob Harris. Rob Harris, that? yeah, who asked him, you know, have you, as, as other city managers in the past have been given secret payments, have you ever taken secret payments? Um, you know, I, I thought, okay, look, if you're an honest guy and you're being paid what you're being paid, you know, that I can understand why that question might might rankle with you. But I didn't, I didn't really get the suggestion that, you know, this is not the right time to ask a question like that because... There is no right time in a controlled media environment, by which I mean, if there's a Manchester City press conference and Rob, Har- Rob Harris, was it that? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Rob Harris goes to ask a question like that. They won't answer and he will be, you know, um, banned or ejected or, or, or anything like that. Um, you know, in order to get access one-on-one access. So let's say you want to sit down with Pep Guardiola. Uh, In order to get that access, there will be things that will be completely and utterly off the table. And that would be one Mm -hmm. of them, I think, the finances or questions about, you know, the financial side of the club and 
you know, all those things, you would not get the access unless you you agreed not to bring those things up. So when do you get a chance to ask those questions? And it's in a in the kind of environment like we saw after a game, where there's nobody really um, with their thumb on the uh, on the media. And I think it's about time that but that these questions started to be asked. Yeah, and I think it's interesting that the question was asked at a neutral venue. This wasn't at Manchester City's training complex, their, you know, their premises where sometimes there is a bit of a mm. sort of unofficial rule of law on what you can and can't ask. You know, yeah. Alex Ferguson was infamous, wasn't it? You know, if he didn't like the questions the journalist asked, that journalist wasn't invited back and that's the way it went. Um, so maybe it needed to be somewhere like Wembley when there was sort of an open floor to get that question across. And I think... It's good journalism, you know, and we need, I think, more than ever, really, journalists to be asking questions of the people in power. Um, And look, I completely understand as well Pep Guardiola bristling at it. For me, nothing is wrong that happened there. The question was asked. He was annoyed about the question and gave his response. I think he's perfectly entitled to be annoyed. Yeah. um, But it doesn't make the question wrong or inappropriate. No, absolutely not. And it felt a, a bit to me like... Like, I, I cannot imagine for one second that a, a club like Manchester City, with its slick PR machine behind it, which there is, you know, which kind of whitewashes everything and, and helps sanitize where the money comes from and all the questions that people ask about where the money comes from and who are the people with the money and what way do they treat other people, you know. This is something we have to contend with as well, with Emirates Airline as as our sponsor. You know, this, this cognitive dissonance that we have to have where in an ideal world you'd say, well, that's not really acceptable. But at the same time, you know, our stadium is named after them. They helped build a stadium. They've been on our shirt for years and now it's, you know. Mm. So we all have those things that we, we want to deal with. But I don't also think that... Uh, this would have been something Pep Guardiola was blindsided by. You know, the, the, this this question or a question like it must have felt inevitable at some stage. So I get the sense that there's probably been some media training as as to what he should say as and when that question comes around, you know? So he he might well yeah. have been bristling. And he might well have been annoyed by it, but I also feel like the, how could you? How could you ask me this on, you know, on this this most glorious day in Manchester City's history? It just felt a little bit manufactured to me. Well, he's very skilled. He always brings it back to sporting issues. He yeah. always makes it about the game. You know, wow, you know, what a performance from my team. I'm so happy. I am so happy. Really, I'm so, I'm so, 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 happy. so, so yeah, angry. So, so, happy, so, so angry. Happy. You so. cannot believe I'm so happy. Uh, but he, um, he's very good at doing that and sort of almost there was a point, wasn't there, in the title race where he almost sort of began to paint Manchester City as kind of underdogs, you know, against yeah. <laughs> uh, a media will for Liverpool to triumph. And I was like, that's a bit rich, mate. I don't think you can... Well, rich being the, the operative word. Uh, yeah, I, I. it's been a really interesting week in that respect because as Arsenal fans, we've been contending with the sort of UEFA thing, the whole the Baku debacle and the consequences of that for our fans, for one of our players. And then what happened with the... FA Cup final and sort of the questions that that raised and a bit of sort of self-examination of City and the Premier League and Arsenal as you mentioned ourselves you know we've got Emirates on our shirt Visit Rwanda on our sleeve 
it's been a little bit it's left a slightly bad taste in the mouth hasn't it as a fan yeah it's you know we it's hard not to worry about the game and where the game is going and um i do wonder if we've reached some kind of a tipping point in the last couple of weeks because we all know the the cliches about the game is nothing without fans and fans are the you know uefa saying for you know fans are the priority i mean what a load of shit you never heard any nonsense like that in your life you know but mm. you know liverpool fans and uh, and tottenham fans going to madrid for the champions league final and getting skewered for flights and accommodation and that's a that's a supply and demand issue right that's sort of inevitable when you have a congregation of uh, whatever, 30, 40, 50,000 people coming into a city for a short period of time, you know, prices sure. fluctuate. That's that's sort of normal, but there's, a, there's another side to it as well. There is some gouging going on. We have our own issues with where the where the Europa League final is taking place. Uh, I think what was, I saw figures at the weekend, Arsenal haven't even sold 3,000 tickets. Chelsea have sold right. six hundred yeah. tickets, something like that. It's it's absurd that the the logistical difficulties of getting to a, a game of this importance and this magnitude have basically prevented it from being what it should be, which is an event for the fans of of Arsenal and Chelsea. Um, then we have this. Manchester City situation, the money that's going in, you know, they're they're facing a potential ban from from the Champions League. Pep Guardiola, who's a clear, clearly a very intelligent man, a brilliant coach, uh, he says, well, you know, I asked the owners about the money and they say everything is normal, everything's above board, everything's legal, and I believe them. Does he, though? Because do you? Do you? I mean, uh, does does anybody uh, in the wider world of football believe that everything is whiter than white when there's all this evidence mounting about how it's not? So what do we do? Yeah. You know, these people. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's hard not to it's, to worry. And Guardiola, he completely exemplifies that cognitive dissonance. You know, that sort of choosing not to believe something or not to really think about something. Mm. I, I thought the Miguel Delaney piece was really interesting and it's worth checking out. And it's, I'm not even saying, you know, his what he says is necessarily the absolutely correct stance on it. But, I mean, this quote, he, he tweeted this quote out from it, which said, uh, ever get the feeling you've been had? The end today in this cup final saw a team owned by a member of the royal family of a human rights abusing regime, all outfitted in jerseys showcasing one of their companies, lifting a trophy sponsored by that company. What is this? And I, I, I read that and I was like, yeah, this is a sort of curious exhibition in global branding, basically. It's the, 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 the boiling frog thing, is it? Is that where we are with this? I don't know the boiling frog thing. What's that? Uh, it sounds horrible. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, if you put a frog in a pot mm -hmm. of boiling water, it'd try and jump out. R right. Right. So imagine football is the frog. Yes. And imagine, okay. imagine football 20 years ago is the frog uh, and the boiling water is football now. I'm messing okay. this the fuck up. But basically, right. 
if you put the frog in the boiling water, he's going to go, fuck that, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Whereas if you put the frog in some cold water and slowly boil uh, him alive, the frog is like, oh, this is nice and warm. It's getting nice and warmer. And then all of a sudden the frog is, you know, you know, poached frog. So we are... A lovely analogy. We are poached We're frog. poached frog. We are the poached frog in sporting terms. These things haven't happened like in an instant. It's sort of mm. gradual. It's drip fed and the landscape has changed so much. Like even in 15 years, I mean, it started, I guess, with, with Abramovich um, and, and nobody could quite believe what was happening at Chelsea when Abramovich came in. And now mm. it's just by extension... You know, rather than very rich men owning football clubs, we have nation states owning football clubs. And nation states who, about whom you can ask many questions about, you know, human rights and, and all those things. And it's such a difficult conversation to have because there's always a what about. There's always the what about this. So if you say, you know, Abu Dhabi or Qatar or whatever about the United Arab Emirates, you know, they do this. Well, what about blah, 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 which is true. There's always a what about, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't ask questions of all of those people involved because, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, and I don't think this is, uh, you know, I, I, it's not a tribal issue. Like, in my mind, I'm not uh, absolving Arsenal of anything from their associations. I think it's genuinely, like, as football fans, uh, a game-wide issue. And it's mm. not about, you know, someone said to me at the weekend on Twitter, they were like, you're, you're jealous of Manchester City's success. And don't get me wrong, I absolutely am. But that doesn't drive my concern here I don't think um, I, I I mean but you know it's tricky you have to think you know if if I was if if it was Arsenal benefiting in this way would I be asking the same questions uh, probably not because you allow yourself to sort of enjoy the ride maybe you that cognitive dissonance gets ever stronger yeah I'd like to think I would have a sort of sneaking suspicion that this wasn't quite quite right you know yeah I, I think so but we have to, I don't know, what do you do? How do you survive? How do you exist in this, in this world of what football has become without being mm. party to the sort of excesses or the, the things that give us or that trouble us, you know? Yeah, and I think, you know, the, to continue the sort of frog analogy, I think the heat first turning up, probably goes all the way back to Sky getting involved, you know, in the early 90s and the creation of the Premier League. I think that sort of began to change the well, the playing field. Um, and then Abramovich, mm. I think, really took things up a notch from there. But so it's essentially, so they're always... In, go on, essentially what? It's fucking Rupert Murdoch's fault. He's the, one of the biggest cunts on earth, Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. He really is. Absolutely. He's a malign influence on things that we like and love, society, sport, media. What a fucking yeah. terrible man he is, really. And he goes underrated. So yeah, he's underrated. People don't mention what a massive prick he is. Anyway, let's... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. And as, and as in Western society, I mean, you encounter his cuntiness mm. through other forms constantly. Yeah. Um, this is a bit uh, heavy, yeah, isn't well, it? it 
it gave us something to talk about, though. Yeah, so that's, that's true. Um, maybe we should lighten the mood a little uh, with the news that AC Milan are interested in signing Shkodran Mustafi. That, how did that brighten your weekend? I mean, what is this? Gazidis has come looking for redemption, hasn't he? I, 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 uh, I, I don't know if I... It feels too good to be true, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it does. Not to bring the mood down. Yeah. I mean, look, does he not have family in Italy or is his wife not from Italy or something like that? Is it? I mean, he seems to always be linked with Italian clubs. I know he played there with Sampdoria and maybe mm. he didn't do his reputation much harm while he was there because he wasn't there that long. Um, I don't know. I mean, maybe his wife's Italian. Look, any Italian club that wants him, please feel free. Uh, I'd be willing to take anything at this point. And, like, I would sell Scodra Mustafi for, uh, you know, a bag of potatoes. Honestly, let him go. It's it's done now. It's done. It's He's over. probably going to start, isn't he? He's going to start him back. <laughs> he could well do. He could well do. Uh, his wife doesn't sound Italian. I just Googled, is Mustafi's wife Italian? And she doesn't look like she has a, an Italian name. So, yeah. I mean, not that you can, you know, people have names that don't necessarily reflect their nationality these days, which is fine, but it doesn't that's look that true. Italian. Um, what else? Anything else from the weekend that's caught your eye that that uh, we should be discussing? Uh, I'm just trying to think, really. Uh, not particularly. I mean, it, it is this sort of curious... It's not an interlull, because there's not even international football, so it's just... A lull. Mm. Uh, you know, I mean, there've been some all right games on. I watched some of the the playoffs, the championship playoffs. They were very entertaining. Um, yeah, I watched you know. um, Charlton and Doncaster. On oh, did you see Bielik play? I did see Bielik play, and actually, Andrew Allen went to the to the game um, and was watching Bielik. And I asked him, what was your impression of him? He says, uh, he's too good for that level. He reads the game quite well, got decent feet and can make the passes. But his decision-making isn't always great. And he's a bit slow when turned. They started him at the base of a diamond um, and then moved him to the right side of a three-man defense. I mean, I do think centre-half is his position, even though he's been playing a lot in central midfield for Charlton. Um whether he's got the chops to come back and do it for us, I don't know. But, you know, he's 21. He's been out um, on loan. He's done well at Charlton. He could get them promotion back to the championship. Um, but I do think um, he's only got a year left on his contract. So um, is there some uh, uh, European under-21 championships this summer? I'm not sure, actually. Um, if you want to see Bielik in action in the playoff final, by the way, for Charlton, that'll be on Sunday, the 26th of May, mm. there against Sunderland. So two sort of decent-sized clubs there. I mean, Sunderland will be looking to get back up just so they can have a nice ending to their Netflix documentary second series. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yes, the UEFA Under-21 Championships are taking place uh, this summer. And I think, I think Poland are involved. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, you know, pre-season's Bielik's time to impress, really. But We've he, been linked with a He won't be, a he won't be part oh, of he pre-season. he won't be there. You of see, course. that's the thing. If he's playing with Poland, play Belgium, Italy and Spain. So there's probably a reasonable chance they go out at they the group out. stages. But even still, 
that fin- that would put them out on the 22nd of June, give them a couple of weeks off. He could make it to America, perhaps, for the uh, for the preseason games. Well, I guess we'd find out. Yeah, so first American friendly is on the 16th, isn't it? So 17th. Uh, he's got a chance. 17th, is it? Mm. Right. So he's got a chance, I'd say. But... Um, yeah, it'll be interesting. We haven't announced that much for pre-season yet. We've got the Emirates, a one-day version of the Emirates Cup. That's we? right, playing against Lyon, and then um, the the Arsenal women play Bayern Munich. So yeah, that's pretty cool. That's a good day out. Um, nice little crossover there between both teams. But I mean, we do have mm. uh, the three games in in America, four games in America actually, because they're playing Colorado Rapids, playing Bayern Munich in in LA, I think. Then it's Roma in Charlotte and Real Madrid in in Washington, D.C., or just outside Washington, D.C. So that probably takes us right up until the the end of July with the Emirates Cup thrown in. And then maybe one more game, depending on what date the the Premier League starts. Do we know that yet? Yeah, we probably do. I mean, there is a... uh Boreham Wood game isn't there before we go on tour to the States but that's not expected to be the first team players I think for the most part I think it's going to be sort of a youth side Saturday um, the 11th of August uh, is oh right. no, no no that's wrong that's this year yeah that's this year um, boom, 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 boom. I don't think it says when it starts yet but there's a good there's got to be a decent chance it'll be that weekend 10th and 11th uh, I would think uh, when's because the transfer deadline must be before that, yeah. as is the custom now. Uh, so, so yeah, Saturday, easy. Saturday the tenth is probably where it would be starting. So okay, okay, right. Oh, it'll all be there before we know it. It'll all be there before we know it. Sure will. Um, what about Santi Cazorla? Um, right. Have we cheered it up enough to go into the second pot too? Yeah, but I just asked you. What about Santi Cazorla? Oh, I didn't hear you say it. You broke up briefly. Okay. Uh, that's great news. That's great news, isn't it? I love that. Brilliant. Return to the Spain squad for the first time in four years after being through the mill, uh, you know, with his injury. Um, burst into tears of happiness at his recall. I mean, how can you not love that? As a, as a story, um, uh, you know, a guy who really deserved a break, uh, you know, after what he went through. He deserved a good season with Villarreal. He had one. He had a really good season with Villarreal in terms of fitness and in terms of his his contribution. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's amazing. A heartwarming story. I was going to say, I mean, a lot of the instant reaction is kind of, oh, it's, you know, we should have kept him and blah, blah, blah. But I sort of think maybe he needed that move you yeah. know maybe it benefited him to be playing in Spain not in England to be playing in a team where they were sort of happy to kind of build the team around his creative talents in midfield maybe mm. give him a bit less workload responsibility and I, I think it all contributed you, you can't necessarily say if he'd stayed with us it would have panned out the same way you know people would have gone mad wouldn't they what are you giving Cazorla a deal for you know he's been out of action for 18 months typical Arsenal what are you doing that for what a waste of money we can use our resources mm. better look he's gone home He's go- he's gone back to Spain back to his home country back to friends and family back to the club where he grew up and he's come through the absolute ringer to have a fantastic season. I think we should just be happy for him for that and not say, well, why mm. didn't we do this? Why didn't we do that? Just be happy for Santi. That's it. We don't have to worry about it too much. 
beyond that. I, I agree. Think, yeah. I'm absolutely delighted for him. Mm. It's really, really uh, a lovely story. And, you know, if you think about where him and Laurent Koscielny were a year ago, yeah. the year they've had between them is absolutely extraordinary. Yes, Koscielny, hopefully to go out with a uh, Europa League winner's medal. That would be fantastic. OK, we, I think we have done enough, haven't we? Um, yeah. To get us to uh, the end of part one, we're going to come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two of the show where we answer questions that you sent to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog, also on the Arsblog Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash the Arsblog, and on the Arsblog Patreon members Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member on Patreon. If you are, thank you. If you're not, sign up now at patreon.com forward slash Arsblog, or you don't have to. It's all right. You can uh, send your questions by Facebook or Twitter. Uh, uh, which uh, which is, um, yeah, th- those are your options, basically. Those are the options. Do you want to start? Will I start? Who'll start? Um, I'll start, actually. Okay. I'll start. This question comes from the Discord, and it's from Aaron F. Uh, and Aaron asks, how much stock do you put in our backdoor route into the Champions League by City being banned for a season and the final spot going to the fifth-place finishers, i.e. us. Nobody seems to be considering it as a possibility. Wouldn't it mean a larger slice of the Champions League pie as well? Um, I don't think it will happen. I just feel like even if they did try and make that kind of a decision, City would tie it up in the in the courts. Um They'd appeal it. They'd, they go to the court of arbitration for sport. You know, I don't know if it would happen in time for us to be in next season's Champions League. So it's not something I'm really considering. It is sort of a lifeline, isn't it? In that, like, if things don't go as well as we would like them to go in Baku, then we, we hope against hope that UEFA crack down on City, kick them out and give us the place. I mean, that would be mm. hilarious, and obviously very welcome. But I would say there's probably about 1% chance of that happening. Yeah, I have absolutely no faith in UEFA to crack down. Uh, And even if they do, there'll be such a long process of, you know, appeal that I can't see it being sorted out in time for next season. I mean, Mm. you know, look at Chelsea and their transfer ban. I think there's still another appeal 
final appeal and appending on that one. It just takes a long time for any of these things to go through. And so I, I think the reason it's not really being discussed is that it just feels like such a, a long shot at this point. Yeah. So it's not really something I'm thinking about. Yeah. Okay, here's a question from JB at Gunner Punner, who says, should Arsenal play in Baku if one of their players cannot play because of his nationality? That is, a, a, I think, a genuinely difficult question. Um, it's because it's yeah, sort of... Well, to me, it's sort of almost comparable to what... You know, that when you have an incident on the pitch and a player is kind of singled out or racially abused and a team walks off, they don't go, you walk off, mate, it's your problem. You know, it's a team, it's a collective, it's a club. And if one... A player, one member is discriminated against, you do kind of instinctively feel that collectively you should take a stand against that. Yeah. You know? But there's a lot riding on it. So I, you know, I appreciate it's not as straightforward as that. It's a really complicated one because, you know, objectively, you would say that if somebody can't play somewhere because of their nationality, then, you know, the club should take a stand. I, I think where it gets complex is the fact that he can play like he can play yes because you're right he does have special dispensation to uh to travel into azerbaijan even though normally i think armenian citizens are are banned so <clears throat> the situation is that he can play the question is should he play right because of the yes. the worries about safety and security and and like I don't know what precisely they fear whether it's an attack on him as an individual or whether his presence might cause an attack that might involve um, other people you know the rest of the squad the rest of the team the staff you know the the Arsenal contingent out there like could it put them in danger. So I think the, the, the problem that the club have is that UEFA say Mkhitaryan can go to Azerbaijan. The Azerbaijani FA have said there's no problem with Mkhitaryan coming to Azerbaijan and playing. But clearly, there haven't been sufficient guarantees over security and safety to him and by extension everybody else for Arsenal to feel sure of bringing him. Right, no, and but I mean, and that's I think that's where UEFA have their out, right? That's where UEFA can say, "Well, look, it's Arsenal's decision he, he to make." Played. He could have yeah. played if you wanted. He, we got him the visa. He could have played, but you decided not to take him because you felt that security wasn't sufficient, right? So that's where I feel like UEFA have abdicated their responsibility here. I think even I think even having the conversation about whether or not we should bring or any club any club not just Arsenal any club having to make this kind of decision tells you that this game is being held in a place where it shouldn't be that's what I think mm -hmm. about that so the, the 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 complexity of the issue itself is one thing and and what Arsenal I mean Arsenal can't turn around as a football club we can't with everything that's at stake in this Baku game and say, no, we're not playing because it's not safe for Mkhitaryan because basically 
we'll get fucked. We're fucked. That's the reality of the situation. It's not like UEFA will say, well, okay, let's move the game. Or, well, we'll give you entry into next season's Champions League because this was an unfair situation. You know, it doesn't work like that. So as a club, we're kind of a bit over a barrel with this. But I do think the fact that we're having to discuss whether or not a player is safe and secure um, and potentially a threat uh, to his his life or something that could do him real harm, that we're discussing that tells you that this situation is wrong and that the game shouldn't be held in a country or a city where this kind of thing can happen. And, and yes. it, it was foreseeable that this could potentially be a problem and it's come back to bite UEFA in the arse, but ultimately Arsenal are the ones that are going to pay. Are Armenia a member of UEFA? Let me just double check. They are. Yeah. So Armenia are in UEFA. They are part of the the qualifiers, the Nations League. So essentially in choosing Baku as a destination, UEFA has overlooked the interests of... One of its you know, members. One of its own members, which is crazy. You know, it's absolute madness. And... Yeah, I, I saw Amy Lawrence in the week saying she thinks this issue would have been talked about more if it was maybe a slightly higher profile oh, yeah. player, you know, yeah. an, an Ursula or an Aubameyang or something like that. And I think that's definitely, definitely the case. But I do think, setting the ethics aside, this is a football issue for Arsenal because Mkhitaryan, you know, were he to travel to Baku or had he done so he would have played some role in the game. And I, I think there's an outside chance it would have been quite a big role. Um, you know, if you think about the way we played against Chelsea earlier this season, you know, having a, a pressing number 10 who closed down Jorginho was crucial to our tactics. It was Aaron Ramsey on that occasion. But, you know, Mkhitaryan's probably the closest thing we might have to that. And it wouldn't have surprised me if he was strongly in... Emery's thoughts to do that sort of well, job. He, he scored but, against them uh, earlier in the season. He he started the game at at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, that's true. I can't was, remember if he played in, game. in the in the home game. Uh, no, I think because we, we went with the diamond in the home game, and uh, oh, he was injured as well. Very, I think at that point he was out injured, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. But you know, it is a football issue too. But from the from an ethics point of view. I, I sort of think the answer to the question, should Arsenal play this game, ethically, is probably no. Yeah. Uh, but I think the practical realities are that we have enough to gain from it that we will. I don't think we have any choice. I don't think we have any choice, but I, I would hope that if it's decided that Mkhitaryan is unable to go with the team to Baku that as a club we come out in the strongest possible terms against having to make that decision because mm. it's not fair it's it, it's a matter of fairness and there is a matter of principle about saying well look if one of our mem- one of our men can't go then none of us go but you know as we've said that the realities the practicalities of the situation mean that that's it's just not possible for us to do that um as much as i think we we'd like to but the club really really need to come out forcefully against 
having to have made that decision if that's what it is. I think we're expecting a decision fairly early this week. Um, there's not a great deal of optimism. Um, and as you say as well, there there are footballing um, implications for us also. We don't have Aaron Ramsey. We don't have uh, a great deal in terms of um, attacking quality and experience on the bench. So goal scoring ability or goal scoring. You know, that, yeah. I mean, look, he thing. doesn't score an awful lot of goals, but he's our second highest goal scorer this season, our third highest goal scorer, um, you know, along with Ramsey, it's only six goals. It's not great, but you know, to, to, to be in a situation where, you know, we might need to bring on a, a substitute who can potentially score a goal. We, you know, we're being, we're being um, slightly hobbled by, by this situation, it's just not right on any level. It's absolutely not right, um, and and it's impossible for Arsenal because, you know, we say they haven't had the right assurances. But what assurances in this context would really be enough? Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what they would have to be told that would make them feel okay. This is fine. I, I don't really see how that's going to happen. To be honest. No, if there's this, if there's this much doubt and and worry about it, then I don't know what the the exact issue is. I know that the the Azerbaijani FA said, "Look, there's no problem." I think the club are looking for something uh, from higher up, for, you know, mm-hmm. for, politically, from right. the government or whatever. But you know, yeah, it's just really, it's sort of overshadowing this uh, this game and you know when you add to it the the travel problems that Arsenal fans and Chelsea fans have experienced the fact that so few fans are, are going from London um, or wherever they support Arsenal to go to the game like it's you know it's opened up for red members it's opened up for all kinds of people to get to this game if they really want to but they don't. And um, yeah, I, I think this is one of those things when we talked about what way football is going in the first half of the show, it feels like this has been, you know, a little bit of a red line issue. Uh, a straw um, has broken the camel's back to a certain extent in, in as much as I think UEFA are really going to have to reconsider how they award finals to various countries and various cities and the first consideration should be fans of the clubs that are in the final and not something nebulous like well it's great we can spread the glory of football to parts of the world that that you know don't have it everyone's got football already We've all got football in our countries, right? You know, it's not like, mm. ooh, what is this new exciting game these people are playing? We should try that. <laughs> you know, it's it's such bollocks when they talk about stuff like that. So we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. I, I look forward to next season's Europa League final being played in space or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, they, they continue to confound us. Uh, can we it's just my before, question, I yeah, think. Yeah, it is your question. Oh, but go on. Can we, just before we move on, can we give a little bit of a shout-out to... I can't remember the, the guy's name. I think you replied to him on Twitter. Um, he, he ordered a... Mickey. Oh. He, he went online and he ordered the... Mickey. 
and the doll arrived, and he got his his Mickey doll, and it was amazing. And then two more arrived. He's got like I a, know they're multiplying. He's got a growing army of Mickey. So uh, I need to find his name. What's his What's his name? Yeah, because he's going to Baku. Do you know that? The wow. final question. And and I think he's planning on uh, taking at least one of his Mickey dolls <laughs> through customs with him, um, which is something. You know, if the real Mickey can't be there, let's fill the stands with Mickey dolls. With little Mickeys. In tribute. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've all got little Mickeys. Uh, I can't find the guy here. I'm scrolling through your timeline, but we should try and give him a shout-out. Um, yeah, it feels remiss not to. Uh, when do we think that was? It was a few days ago, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a few days. We might have to cut this bit. <laughs> oh, no, people love absolute silence as we scroll through. Um, is this their, this is their favourite bit, isn't it? This stuff? Is it just this complete silence, yeah. Mm. Um, it's not particularly good silence, this. No, no, no. It's not our best silence. Oh, it's, I'm sure I replied to him. You did. I saw you reply, or you at least quoted the tweet. Oh, found it. Found it at last. Wow, thank goodness. This is going to be really exciting as we just call out somebody's name. Trevor Larwood. Go, Trevor, with his army of Mickey dolls. Trevor Larwood has three uh, Mickey dolls, and if you go to his timeline, he has them all singing in unison. It's quite haunting, actually. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, uh, Mikadarian. What's his um what's his uh Twitter handle? I'll send you the link to the tweet, shall I? Yes, do. And we can we can hear this uh, um glorious uh, this glorious choir I'm of sending it to you. Heavenly Mickey. Yeah, it, I've sent it to you via our little chat. Box. Okay. Um yeah, they're all singing the Henry Mikadarian song in okay. slightly off unison as Here well. We I think they're in like Okay, here we go, here we go. Okay. <laughs> oh my god, that's gonna haunt my dreams forever. A choir of angels. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes. Genuinely though, I I do hope the Arsenal fans if they go sing his name for 90 minutes I'd quite enjoy that mm. okay I think it's your question uh, right my question I've lost my page now because I was spent so long looking for that uh, for that guy Do you want okay to... what okay, about this? this okay this is from Joe Laycock on Facebook Joe says Andrew said he's quoting you uh oh he'd be open uh-oh. yeah uh oh uh oh um, Andrew said He'd be open to changing coach, whatever the circumstance, should an improved option become available. Right. Cue Big Max Allegri leaving Juventus. Regardless of the outcome in Baku, would you consider Allegri a sufficient upgrade that Arsenal should consider for next season? Uh, yeah, I saw a few questions like this. I don't know, to be honest, because I don't know what Max Allegri in a budget of £40 million can do. Um, and I think that is an overriding consideration if you are going to hire a new coach. Mm. They're going to say, how much money is there to spend on this 
terrible defence. And sure. we'll say forty million pounds, and he'll say, "Oh, I could probably get a good centre half for for that." And then we'd say, "But that's forty million pounds for everything," and he would say, <laughs> "Fuck off," is what I think. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean. Do you think Allegri is going somewhere? I mean, it seems strange to leave Juventus. Maybe he's just having a, a year off, wants to take some time off to to chill out, um, get rid of the yeah, visions think, of Ronaldo's neck out of his head. And Yeah, and I think he said <clears throat> he doesn't want to be in coaching for that long. I mean, a lot of people say that and then, you know, last longer than, than they anticipate. He said, I, and he said, I, I'll never do five years somewhere again, like I have at Juventus. Um, who knows? I, 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 I would expect him to be in a big job by the end of next season, mm. uh, but not necessarily before. Apparently, the football's not particularly beautiful under Emery. Uh, uh, <laughs> similar <laughs> tongue there. Uh, under Allegri either. I have heard. I, I'm not on top of things with the Juventus, really. I don't watch a lot of Serie A. But, um, I mean, his pedigree in terms of trophies is certainly there. But I think winning with Juventus is a very different thing, isn't it? I think, you know, we spoke about that league being a little bit slanted in their direction. I mean, what is it? Five consecutive uh, leagues for Allegri. And I think yeah. eight consecutive for Juventus. Yeah. That's ludicrous, isn't it? It is. It is. Boring. Um, it is a little bit boring. Uh, have you got a question? Yeah, I do. Uh, just uh, Daniel Keenan asked the same question there. Fishkotech79, would you swap Emery regardless of your uh, Europa League result? Uh, I don't think he would come to us, though. That's the thing. Alex, who is Alex Cullen 17 says, I've seen a lot of people suggest that Reese Nelson become a starter next season. Is that too much to ask of a player with a handful of Premier League appearances and who didn't hold down a starting place at Hoffenheim? I think in terms of him being a regular starter, it probably is too much to ask. But, you know, depending on which European competition we're in, as someone who plays quite a lot of cup football and is a rotation option in the squad, I think that's probably fair enough. And at a certain point, you know, if we are serious about giving this generation a chance, and it is genuinely exciting, I think, how talented this bright young uh, English generation is that's coming up you've got to start giving them game time somewhere. And I think I think Nelson's ready for that. I don't know mm. if he's ready to be the first name on the team sheet from August, but, you know, as a squad option, uh, I don't see why not. What about you? Yeah, look, I feel like, and I spoke about this on the Arscast on Friday with, uh, with Jim and Clive, that the, there, there are so many potential departures from the club this summer that, I don't feel like we've got the money to replace them all um, with signings. And I also think there might be issues with our homegrown contingent as well. Um, Mm -hmm. I have to look up the rules on that, though, because do the players have to be over 21 or something to be considered homegrown or, you know? Yeah, it it all depends. 
so players under 21, I think... Don't uh, don't go to your... Don't count towards your number, your 25 or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so, but you can name them as a homegrown option if you need to. So there's all kinds of workarounds, really. Mm. Uh, and then you've got people like Bielik, who by this point do qualifiers homegrown, even though they were bought in from elsewhere. Uh, so I think we'll find a way around it. I'm not especially concerned about it. Mm. Um, I, yeah. I had a question here. Oh, well, go on, sorry, sorry, I was just going to say about Reese Nelson, you know, we have to give him a chance, I think. He went to Hoffenheim on loan. He's had a year away from the club, living in another country, living in a, you know, um, uh, playing in a different league, rather developing, maturing, coming back with more experience. Uh, and he has had, in general, a a pretty decent loan spell at Hoffenheim. You know, he's scored a lot of goals mm-hmm. uh, for a young player. He hasn't necessarily uh, been playing week in, week out, which is maybe what we wanted, but he has had an impact there, which suggests he could have an impact with us as he continues to develop and mature, you know, because he is still he is still quite young. But, you know, I'm at a point now where I would I would like to see someone like Reese Nelson, who's, who's only 19 years of age still, be given a shot in the first team at Arsenal because otherwise he will just go somewhere else. And I think we have to show some of these young players that there is a path. Um, There is a path to first team football with us. You know, we've seen a couple breakthrough in the last few years. Alex Iwobi, Maitland-Niles, Hector Bellerin has come through our youth system even though, you know, he came from 16 at Barcelona. You know, we we Mm. do have a little bit of a... uh, a history in that regard but you know in the absence of real money to invest in the team we've got to get creative both in terms of how we bring players through from the youth level and how we sign players you know this um this is a consideration as well so yeah i'm i'm yeah. i'm good with him being given a chance he could well be a first team regular by the end of next season he could also be somebody who doesn't play as often as we would have hoped. But we will never find out until such time as uh, we give him that chance. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, this question comes from B, who's at BR95 underscore on Twitter. And B asks, I think this is a really good question. We desperately need wingers, but surely signing one or two would mean sacrificing the only part of our team that works, i.e. Aubameyang and Lacazette up top. How do we get around that? Mm. That is a good question. Um. Because it's difficult, isn't it, to foresee, you know, two strikers starting plus a winger. You know, unless you went sort of like a proper old-fashioned 4-4-2. Four, four, two. Yeah. Yeah, I don't um I don't know. I don't know. I do wonder if playing with two strikers is sort of um a decision born out of necessity right now because they are the two best players that we have in the team and our two main goal threats. Um rather than it being an idea or or a system that Emery is absolutely wedded to. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, I don't Mm. think Emery 
will think, oh, okay, I've got to play two strikers. I've got to build my team around a system that involves two strikers. I have a feeling that next season it might be a system built around one striker. I think a back four will probably be the default position at the back uh, if we buy the right players. And I think we'll play with, you know, the 4 2 three, one. That's what I think. So that mm-hmm. way there's space for those wide players. Yeah, I don't know. It's the short answer. I don't know. Do you know? Of course I know. Okay, no, I tell know. us. So I think Unai Emery is a manager who is not wedded to one particular formation or system. Uh, that much is clear. And so I, I imagine he'll want to give himself options. And the reality is at the moment, if we want to play with one striker and a, a pure out-and-out winger, we can't really do that because we don't have a wide man with that capacity. Um, so if, if we were to bring somebody in, it just would enable him to, you know, either in a different game or in the course of the game, change the shape and provide a different kind of threat. Mm. I do also wonder if, when he's looking at wide players, if he might also be looking at someone who could play in that kind of number 10-esque role behind the strikers too. You know, if there was someone who was, let's say, a dribbler who could play on the wing, or, but also off Aubameyang and Lacazette in a narrower formation with the width coming from wing-backs, then I think that would be ideal. Um, who that player is, I don't know, but they would tick a lot of boxes if we could find them. Mm. Yeah, I, I... I know you say that Unai Emery is a manager who isn't wedded to one system or formation. I see that. But again, I wonder, is that because of the players he has at his disposal? And if he had more of, quote-unquote, his players, as people mm. have spoken about, if we might see something a little more... Um, Consistent. Yes, that's the word I was looking for. Thank you. Quite possibly, yeah. Quite possibly. I mean, I, I think, you know, when you look at sort of the Swiss army knife of Arsenal's squad and you look at the attributes that are missing, I think pace and dribbling ability is something that really stands out. And that that's what, to me, says we need to, to take this kind of player. I think, you know, what the shape sort of ends up being will depend on a lot of other factors, but we just don't have that skill set in our squad currently, and we need it. Hmm. Okay. Is it my question or your question? It's your question. It's my question. Okay. Uh, a couple of them coming in. Uh, one from at Figgy Gooner, who says, can we just talk about Steve Bold? Read an article that he might be off soon and that he isn't heavily involved with Emery and Carcedo. Is that why Robert Perez is being linked to a coaching role with us? And Roger Clark, at Roger Clark, who says, is Steve Bold the real cause of our continuing defensive woes? Surely a change of staff in this area would be a wise move considering nothing has changed since he's had the role despite a variety of defensive personnel on the pitch. I mean, we get Steve Bold questions most weeks, don't we? Yeah. And I, uh, I think every so often we have to sort of address them. <laughs> so, so let's do it this week. So I, I never really understand why people blame Steve Bold for our defensive problems. I, I think there's kind of an assumption that because he was a defender, that must be his remit as a coach. But I don't think it is. And I'm not sure it ever has been. 
particularly. Uh, and certainly, judging by the activity you see on the subs bench and in the technical area, uh, Juan Carlos Casado seems much more closely involved with defensive matters and, you know, set-piece issues and things like that. Mm. So I kind of think, you know, Steve Bold might be a bit impotent, but I don't necessarily see him as the problem, you know? Yeah, I couldn't agree with that more. You know, it's, I think we're looking, we're looking for the smoking gun here. You know, as if somehow Steve Bold, if we if we if we can pin it all on Steve Bold, all we need to do is replace Steve Bold, and we will be able to defend as a team again. Uh, I don't believe that is the case. I, I do wonder about his role this year and how heavily involved mm. he is. You know, he was kept on, I think, in order to maintain a measure of consistency, to have an Arsenal man on the coaching staff, somebody who knows the club and understood the club, but also somebody who knew all the players. You know, he knew them well, or knows them well. So Emery's coming in, and he's obviously got to make his own assessment about players, and and he can do that over time. But to know more... um, quickly about their character, about how they perform, what are they like in this circumstance, you know, are they difficult to work with, who's the who's the good trainers, what what should I look out for, how do I manage this particular guy? It feels to me like uh, that was probably a lot of what Steve Roll, uh, Bowles' role was uh, for this season. Whether it's a, a role he wants to continue or not, I don't know, but I don't think he is the, the, the problem when it comes to our uh, defense. I think that's really unfair to pin on him because ultimately he was working with Arsene Wenger, a man who, you know, uh, had all the authority when it came to footballing decisions. And clearly with Emery and Carcedo, he is, if not necessarily a third wheel, not somebody who's going to have a great deal of influence over their decision making and, and how they set up the team and how they ask the team to defend. So um, I, I feel like he gets done a little bit of a disservice. Um, just because he was a defender doesn't mean he's our defensive coach. I think you've got to start I, I looking elsewhere. That. Yeah, I, th- I think people think there's a correlation between playing style and coaching style, and I think history shows that's not always the case. I mean, mm. I think Arsene Wenger was a defensive midfielder or something, wasn't he? And you know, he ended up being this uh, great attacking coach. It, it just doesn't always pan out like that so uh, yeah but I agree with you that maybe Steve Bold's time at the club could be coming to a close um, just because it's sort of hard to see we, we don't know obviously the intimacies of the sort of the coaching relationships but it, you know he feels a little bit extraneous to things at this point mm. yes yes he does uh, oh I had this question from okay. Facebook from Venkat Ragute. I hope that's all right, Venkat. I did my best. Um, Venkat says, What funny superstition, if any, do you and Gunnerblog follow or heed leading up to a cup final for Arsenal? Have you got anything? Yes. Go on. On the morning of a cup final, I'll have a bowl of Rice Krispies with banana milk and I can only use my left hand uh, to eat them with my spoon and then I'll just it takes ages because I'm not quite dexterous enough with my left hand so I'm right handed yeah after that that, oh sorry I was just starting 
Oh. It's getting started. <laughs> After that, I've got to get a room full of balloons and pop them all with a safety pin that is glued to my forehead. So I've got to headbutt the so balloons right. until they're Pack all it, gone. Like a big chicken. Like a big yeah. chicken, but with a little tiny safety pin. It can get a little bit sore. Yeah. But apart from that, nothing out of the ordinary. Right. Okay. And will you be doing that this, this week, I guess? On the day, on next Wednesday, you'll be doing that. Yeah, for sure. For sure, yeah. Got Can we live stream thing. it for Patreon members? We'll do that. We'll do that. We'll put it yeah. up on YouTube. Me pecking around a room <laughs> full of balloons and eating Rice Krispies with banana milk. I wonder what that would be like, actually. I'm obviously clearly joking here. Um, Rice Krispies with banana Like, banana milk is one of the greatest things on earth. I don't think I've ever had banana milk. What? I didn't know you could milk a banana. How, is it just... I mean, there's a lot of innuendo there, but what is it? What do you? Is it just? It's banana like flavored banana? milk. It's just oh, okay, milk banana that flavored. tastes like. Yeah, you don't like milk. That sounds banana. quite nice. It is. It's good. Yazoo, not only a great '80s pop band, but a brand of banana. Oh, that milk. stuff. Yeah, that's. Yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. Go get some. I've seen it. Go get some. I've seen it. Like like chocolate milk, but exactly, milk. but with yeah. banana. In it. Do you have any superstitions? Um, have I talked about the tea towel on the head thing before? Possibly, but remind me. <laughs> so basically, in my family when I was growing up, there was, I, I think it would have been around like World Cup 98 or something like that. There was some sort of penalty shootout that England won. And during it, my mum couldn't watch because she was so nervous. So she put a tea towel over her head. And then from that point on, <laughs> it sort of became a family tradition that if it was entering the, the tense stage of any game, especially penalty shooter, you have to put a tea towel over your head. Otherwise, like, there's no way you'll win. Do you just drape it over your head or do you tie it up into like a kind of, uh, you know, the way uh, you see the old postcards of uh, the British seaside and the guy's there with a hanky tied around his head. Is it like that? No, you you just sort of drape it like you were sort of using it to protect you from the sun. Do you know what I mean? Like you sure. were out in the desert, and you just sort of it sort of falls on either side, and you just and then you're good to go. Right. Because um, the tradition stems from sort of I think she had it over her head so that she wasn't watching, but that obviously that has been amended so that you're you're able to wear the tea towel and watch simultaneously. Okay. Um, so on the day of the game, I will also post a picture of myself uh, with a tea towel on your towel. head. Okay, and I want to see all you guys at home with a tea towel on your head too. Everybody, if, the if power of hashtag Arscast Extra. <laughs> the power of tea we'll towels. Make a big collage of them. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay, a couple more quick ones to finish. Um, Kian O'Sullivan at Kian O'Sullivan twenty one. Which was the podcast you most looked forward to recording, and the one you most dreaded recording after games this season? Ooh, um, <laughs> the Halloween one. Uh, uh, that was that noise was me stalling for time as I desperately try and think. Most enjoyed, I think it would have to be the home win over Spurs. Yes, I would say. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was a lot to like about that, and sort of I relish talking about those big games and those big wins. Dreaded doing. 
Do you, the thing is, I don't always dread the ones that are bad results because, you know, there's a sort of anticipation of the catharsis. Do you know what yes. I mean? Yes, and there's often a lot to talk about. There's a load to talk mm. about when you, you know, when results are bad, particularly unexpected results or, or you know, um, poor results, as we saw in the final part of the season. So I don't, I can't say I ever dreaded one, to be honest. No, um, no, but there were probably, I would say, do you know what? Probably, I don't know if we did one, but, you know, Arsenal played sporting at home in the group stage of the Europa League and it was nil-nil. Yeah. Something like that, it, you know, you sort of go into it thinking, what are we going to talk about here? Yeah. <laughs> that, that, those ones aren't great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's sort of like, it's it's even more difficult than the summer because uh, at least in the summer, you know there's nothing to talk about, whereas ostensibly there's been a game of football and you have to try and find something to say about it, even though it has been pretty abysmal. So, yeah, yeah they're, they're the worst ones. They're the worst ones. Um, final one. Go on. This comes from Simoxo, who's at Simoxo1. And he says, at the end of each podcast, is James bye-bye pre-recorded? I swear it sounds exactly the same every single time. Shall we let mm. them in on the secret? Okay. Go on then. Let's you, tell them. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's, I... I never say bye-bye. I said it once. And Andrew, as a prank for the last, you know, four years or whatever it's been, has been playing in the recording of the one time I said bye-bye to mock me uh, with an imaginary catchphrase. So... There you go. I hope you're happy with yourself, Andrew. You've fooled the nation. You've fooled the listeners. Maybe we should get a few more in the can. Maybe we should get a, a bit of variety here and then we can spread them out. So what if I were to suggest to you different styles of you saying bye-bye? Like, yeah. Like a little okay. bit of an improv exercise and I give you the style and you do the bye-bye. How about that? Okay. All right. Um, do do yeah, I'll do, do some now. Yeah, let's do some. Um, a Victorian gentleman who has come home to find that his entire family has died of consumption. Bye bye. <laughs> no, no, I do it properly. I do it properly. <laughs> I just thought it'd be funny if I did them all exactly the same. Uh, no, okay, right, we'll do that one properly. A Victorian okay. gentleman, mm. he's come home. And his entire, his entire family, fa- they're dead of consumption. TB. Okay, dead. okay. Bye bye. <laughs> did you even get that on the mic? It was said there was a lot of emotion. There was a lot of it. emotion in that. There was. Okay. 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 Um, something more upbeat. Something more upbeat. Um, in the style of Pep Guardiola, who has come home to find that he has had uh, some secret payments from his employer in the form of gold bullion. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, you, couldn't, you didn't get some, but I was... Clenching my fists with excitement as I, as I gave that one. So, so, so want to say bye-bye. So bye-bye. So yeah. very bye-bye. I'm so, I so happy to say bye-bye. Yeah, very, very happy. Okay, Arsene Wenger after having a delicious uh, Italian meal. Uh, Luke, uh, bye-bye. Pretty good. 
I think that's a pretty Thank good you. one. Um, okay. Let me think of another one. David Hasselhoff running down the beach in Baywatch as he's watching his little son, who was also in Baywatch, wasn't he? He was... Yeah, I think so. ...being eviscerated by Jaws in one of the greatest TV film crossovers of all time. Right, I'm going to cut slightly off mic. Okay, so I'm running, right? Imagine the Baywatch music. Do you, can you sing the Baywatch music? Can I sing do you it? Know the Baywatch music? Uh, no, but I tell you what I can do is I can probably can probably get it up here. Uh, Baywatch theme song. Hang on. Here it comes. Right one second. Here it is. We're going all out for this. It's about to kick in. Oh. No, you're here. Oh, right, OK. <laughs> What's going on? Well, I'm playing the music. Oh, I can't hear it. You okay. can hear it. Everyone else can. No. Hang OK, on. it's on. Right. Have you got Oh, it? now I can hear it. Oh, OK, it's getting me in the mood. So I'm running along the beach, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm actually running now. And then okay. I see something out of sea. Yeah. What what is it? It's my son. He's being eaten by a is shark. He... And then I just shout. Bye bye. <laughs> that was perhaps the best David Hasselhoff impression I've I've ever heard. Thanks very much. No problem. One final uh, one. One final. Oh wow, okay. A final one. An Irishman. Arr, say bye-bye and say your prayers as you walk the plank. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Okay. Well, I think we've, we've, we've provided a little bit of variety there for the bye-byes. Uh, in the future, yep. I've you know I've got so much to work with here. The quality of those bye byes was <laughs> I, I I just don't have the words for it. Um, right, it's uh, it's clearly it's clearly this this podcast world is too small for your talent, James. Thank you very much. Well, listen, I mean, <laughs> I've been saying bye bye my whole life, so I've had a few opportunities to to work on some variations. Wow, pretty impressive, pretty impressive. Okay, folks, listen, thank you very much indeed for being here. Um, we will be back with, I guess, an Arscast on Friday of some description or other. Uh, if you're an Arsblog member on Patreon, you can join James and myself tomorrow evening for a live streaming video. It's one of those ask us anything kind of. Um, Situation. So we'll be taking your questions on YouTube. Check out patreon.com forward slash arsblog. There'll be details up there a bit later on today uh, in terms of the time and everything else. Uh, in the meantime, thanks a million, and we will catch you on the next one. Shiver me timbers. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye.
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.